The show made for moms and families. It's Channel Mom. Moms should get more credit. Back when I became a mom, I realized people thought my former career in TV news was more important than my motherhood. But that's backward because moms are raising that next generation and the world depends on us to do it well. So moms, this is your time to sit back, relax, and let Channel Mom cheer you on and equip you in your job as a mom because you're doing some of the most important work on the planet. Channel Mom, we encourage moms. Now, here's your host, Jenny Dean Schmidt. Oh my goodness. That is me. I hope you're here for a reason today. I hope that this show is meant for you. I am Jenny, and this is Channel Mom, where we encourage moms. We focus on your amazing value when the rest of the world forgets to tell you how valuable you are as a mother in this world. And speaking of the world, does the world feel like it's reeling out of control right now? Do you find yourself feeling kind of anxious about it all for both yourself and your kids? Or maybe you've got some personal circumstances that have led you to feel truly out of control. Things like illness or loss or infertility or financial problems, whatever it may be. Well, we've got an amazing guest to help us with this out of control feeling today. Lauren McAfee, who comes from a pretty famous background that begins with the word hobby and ends with the word lobby. She has incredible advice for moms today, having faced anxiety over her own struggles with infertility as well as loss and advice for moms who have adopted. Tips from Lauren's new book, Beyond Our Control, coming up next on Channel Mom. Moms are a big deal, but sometimes the world forgets. That's why Channel Mom Media and Outreach is here. We exist to love, coach, and encourage every mom. Whether she's struggling with parenting, single motherhood, homelessness, or locked in prison, on the radio and social media, Channel Mom works to remind each mom of her importance and give her the latest and best advice. We also reach out to moms with our hands and feet, helping homeless and incarcerated moms, as well as moms in the country and mothers in the city. You can join our work by praying for us, volunteering, or giving at channelmom.org. The abortion rate continues to increase in Colorado, but there is still hope. For 40 years, the compassionate care team at Alternatives Pregnancy Center has come alongside teens and adults who feel like abortion is their only choice. Alternatives lets them know they're not alone. Through advocacy, resources, and mentoring, Alternatives Pregnancy Center moves people from a place of suffering to thriving. You can be part of the solution by giving just $10 to provide life-saving medical and counseling services. Give today at youhavealternatives.org slash donate. Channel Mom with Jenny Dean Schmidt. Hey, welcome back. You just heard in the advertisement. Actually, not everybody hears our ads, but most people do. Um, you have alternatives.org. Man, do they have a compassionate approach to the whole life issue. And something really cool. They have just informed Channel Mom that they're going to continue on for a year, another year, as one of our sponsors. So that deserves some applause. So grateful for Alternatives Pregnancy Centers and what they do. You have alternatives.org. Go check them out. They could use your prayer and your donations, whatever you can do for them. Uh, they would love that. Also, just a little personal announcement for Channel Mom. You know, we do outreach in prisons. We teach a nine-week 
curriculum, uh, biblically based, that reengages mamas in prison with their children, teaches them healthy parenting principles, tries to prepare them to, to parent again and, and prevent that legacy of incarceration from being passed on. It's an incredible program. We give them a success, a success kit when they get released from prison to help set them up to, to get a job and to, to parent their children well, to provide a stable home, all of that. Channel Mom does some really good work with moms in prison. So if you would like to be a volunteer with us, we need volunteers in Colorado, both down in the Pueblo, Pueblo area for the facility down there, La Vista, and then up here in the Denver area for Denver Women's Correctional Facility. And if you're listening to us in another state, we are trying to bring Forever Moms, our prison outreach program, to mothers in prison in other states. So if you would like to do that, please reach out to us at info at channelmom.org, info at channelmom.org if you'd like to volunteer or help us bring our program to other states. So that's my little public service announcement. Okay, so this is a treat and a dose of reality. And I think a lot of moms are going to identify with this guest today. Doesn't the title of her book just make you feel understood and encouraged? The book is called Beyond Our Control. Let go of unmet expectations, overcome anxiety, and discover intimacy with God. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I did, that just makes me feel better, the title of that book. She is Lauren McAfee. She is married to Michael, her co-author on their book, Beyond Our Control. And she's the mother of what she calls fierce and feminine little girls, Zion and Zara. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. She's also the founder of Stand for Life and serves as the ministry director at Hobby Lobby. Lauren is the author of Only One Life, Not What You Think, Legacy Study, and Created in the Image of God. She's currently pursuing a PhD in ethics and policy. Lauren previously worked for her father, Steve Green, of the Green family, while uh, he founded Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And uh, we're just so blessed and honored to have her on the show today. Welcome, Lauren. Hey, thanks for having me. It's so fun to be here. Yeah, totally. Totally cool. I was. I want to read uh, from the forward in your book, so we're going to see if I can quickly get to that. Um, but as I'm as I'm getting to the the forward, I want to say this: you you <laughs> you come from a pretty famous, um, mm. <laughs> well well off family, and yet in the book, it's kind of clear that as as blessed as you are, you've also had to face mm-hmm. more burdens than what some people would expect. And also, mm. Lauren, I hope you don't mind me saying I'm kind of putting on you on the spot here, but as I was <laughs> reading through your book last night, I was like, she didn't kind of step out of her house and live a super privileged life. She lived next to a mortuary and, and she yeah. shared her driveway <laughs> with a hearse and she had a chicken That's coop right. in her backyard. I mean, am, am I wrong to, to, to think that you yeah. grew up with a lot of money around you and a lot of privilege, but you kind of started off just like most of us. I, I, am I wrong about that? Yeah. No, that's so sweet. Yeah. So, I mean, even with my, my grandparents being the founders of Hobby Lobby and my family still owning the business, it was really important to my family uh, all through my growing up and still today to, um, to not feel entitled to anything and for us to have a really normal life growing up. And so, um, yeah, I w- I'm grateful that you know, if I get anything financially from my family, it's because I worked hard and earned a paycheck and it's not any uh, extra thing. So my grandpa actually, my grandpa David Green actually wrote about that, kind of what the family legacy and generosity and stewardship of having a large family business has been like and how uh, even just structurally they've done that in order to kind of try and um, teach us, the the next generations, the importance of hard work and earning 
what you get. So yeah, that's definitely something that's been kind of a legacy piece of my grandparents' investment in us as wanting to uh, give us a very normal Yeah, well, let me say this. And and Kelly, you can get the applause button ready again. Praise God. You have a -hmm. a family that built a billion dollar business, right? It's got to be Mm -hmm. with with that many Hobby Lobbies. And Mm -hmm. you have a grandpa and a father who said, we're not going to treat our kids like the Kardashians. We're going to give them (laughs) biblical principles, remind them of what really matters on this planet. And we're going to have them work for their money. That deserves a round of applause. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's really special, Lauren. And 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 I'm yeah. not sure if you ever resented it. Like, okay, hey, can't you just throw me? Can't you just throw right. me a few dollars here? But when yeah. you had a chicken coop in your backyard as a newly married yeah. girl, um, but but I applaud that. That's I, and I, I imagine yeah. a lot of people who are listening today are going to be just impressed to hear that that that's the way that you had to, to, to you know to learn just like the rest of us. All right, yeah. So thank I'm gonna you. I, you're welcome. I'm gonna read from the forward of your book, and this is you writing, not the forward. Is it? Yeah, is it the, the introduction? So yeah, here's, yeah, what you, here's what you say, and it's kind of long, but, but I think people are going to really appreciate that you understand them. I'm guessing that what has brought you here to these pages is a kind of pain that feels paralyzing, the type of suffering that will never make sense, the aspects of life that linger just beyond your reach, beyond those things you think you control. I'm guessing that you're grateful for many things in life, the air you breathe, the opportunities you've been given, the moments you deeply enjoy, but you know as well as I do that even the richest, most plentiful blessings don't outweigh the burden of feeling out of control. I'm guessing that while you may have always known that life comes with its share of hardships, it's the form those hardships take that has felt totally shocking to you. You thought you'd struggle some, but did you really have to struggle like this? And I think Mm. so many moms are going to say, yeah, this is so how I feel. And and I think that's totally why you wrote the book. Because yeah. you came to that place as, as someone who, who grew up in a Christian family, who follows God, who has, you know, c- come from a lot of money, who, who seems to have lived a privileged life. You've got a wonderful husband. You know, you, you've got now two adopted, beautiful girls. And, and mm-hmm. so some people might look at you on the surface and say, ah, you've got no hardship. You've got no pain. And, but then you did face that kind of pain that might have made you question, like, really, Lord? Like, really, yeah. you're going to make us go through this? So tell us about what you went through. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I appreciate you reading that piece too, just to kind of give context, because I think so many people that read the book, we talk a lot about our adoption story, and I'll share a little bit more about that. But the book is so much more than just our story, but it's hopefully relatable to anyone who has experienced kind of having these expectations of what life would look like, and then life does not turn out uh, the way you expect it, and just the anxiety that can come from that, and wanting to control things and, and things just being out of your reach is such a uh, theme that I think, especially in the past few years, uh, I realized so many people can relate to. And so in my own life, that happened in my journey to parenthood. So my, as you mentioned, like I had a very um, blessed life in that I have a wonderful parents that raised me in a very stable and loving home and have been blessed in so many ways. And uh, my husband and I got married young. And whenever we were Wanting to start our family, we decided to pursue adoption. So my grandparents are adoptive parents, and then my parents are adoptive parents. They adopted my sister from one of my sisters from China. And so adoption has been a part of my family for generations, and I wanted to pursue that in, in mm-hmm. our lives. And Michael, my husband, was um, excited about that too. So we started the adoption process, 
pursuing an international adoption through a country in Africa. And we were three years into the adoption process, and that country closed its program. So we were three years into, you know, hoping and praying for a child, and then it closed. So then we switched to a different program. That program closed as well. And so then we were having to wait until we were old enough to pursue an adoption through China because there are age requirements for different countries. And all of that effort and the prayers and our longing for children for for seven years in the adoption process, it was so hard to know that we had this good desire, yet God wasn't fulfilling it. And so at the same time, we also began uh, pursuing trying to have children biologically, and we realized that infertility was going to be our experience. And so we, you know, are years and years into our infertility experience now as well. And so there were so many years we were pursuing every avenue we could, whether pursuing children biologically or through adoption, and nothing was working out. And we, you know, for such a deep longing to go unfulfilled year after year, um, it was just very discouraging. And so then we finally, in our adoption process, did get matched with a little girl, Zion, our daughter, from China. And so we traveled and uh, brought her home the fall of 2019, and we were so thrilled to finally be parents. I mean, we were, you know, for seven years uh, longing and praying for this child, and now we finally had our daughter. She was a year and a half old when we adopted her, and we got home, and we were settling into life um, with the, the three of us and being parents for the first time. And because it was an international adoption, we were doing just a variety of uh, routine medical checkups and just kind of checking um, to make sure everything was great and that she was um, getting the best care just to be a healthy little girl. And um, incidentally, we found out through those checkups that she had cancer. Mm -hmm. And so it was not something that was expected at all. And so it was a surprise and, um, you know, in an instant, from only having been a parent for a month and a half, realized that our daughter had a life-threatening disease of cancer. And having to then walk through that felt really disorienting to think, okay, I thought that I kind of, I did my, you know, quote unquote, suffering by waiting for seven years for my child. And now to have my daughter for a month and a half and then a cancer diagnosis felt really, um, unfair. Uh, Sure, sure. You know, I just, that's how it felt. It was like, God, is this really what you intend for us to go through? Like, I I don't understand this. So it was such a journey of realizing that I thought I'd be able to control these circumstances in my life. I thought I'd be able to control, uh, you know, growing our family, either through adoption or infertility. And when both of those didn't work out in, in a way I expected, um, it was just, that was devastating. Sure. And it, and it I, caused I, me to question, okay, what, what is this? Why is this happening, Lord? I don't understand. Absolutely. And, and I'm just interjecting briefly. And, and so I'm guessing, is, is Zara a boy? Is Zion's a girl and Zara's a boy? Girl. Both girls. Oh, that's yeah, what I thought. Yeah. Cause I thought you said, and I thought, oh my gosh, I've gotten this wrong, but no, two girls. Okay. So we'll, girls. we'll get to yeah. Zara's story after we also tell Ezra's story quickly. But, yeah. but let me just interject to say, I think just about everybody gets that. Where I yeah. feel like I've seen God provide something and I think, oh, this is it. He's coming through after yeah. I've struggled. And this is, you know, finally God comes through and here, you know, it's all rainbows and unicorns and it's all going to work out. And then it's like, oh, no. 
It's not yep. that this beautiful gift I thought it was that with no problems. And and then you think, really, Lord, it's it's more pain. And 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 by the way, I think you're about to tell us that there's still mm-hmm. joy and that He does come through, but not always yeah. in the way that we think. And and so I just want to say, I think so many moms identify with that process. All right, so you you got Zion. She's diagnosed with cancer. You're a brand new mama, and and you think, oh no, I, I thought it was all going to work out, and now there's a cancer diagnosis. And and so then yeah. briefly tell us the the rest of the story with your children. Yeah. Um, and your and your sister or sister-in-law. And then and then I want to yep. get into some of your tips about how we handle this stuff. For sure. OK, so, yeah, to try and quickly cover a yeah, bunch a of lot. Yeah. So our daughter, Zion, you know, we went through a surgery to remove her tumor and this chemotherapy and she went into remission, thankfully. Yes. Um, a couple months later and she's still in remission, doing great. Um, and so then we began the adoption process again. And we were quickly matched. We did a domestic adoption. We were quickly matched with a little boy named Ezra. The birth mom chose us to parent. And so we brought him home from the hospital. We had him for a year. And things looked like they were going to be moving forward with the adoption, the legal process to finalize things for a lot of that time. But because it was during COVID, it was in 2020 that he was born, things in the court system were slow. And so there was just extra time that we were in this limbo phase of not knowing for sure, for sure, because of the legal process that he would stay in our home. So after Ezra was in our home for a year, birth mom, we had a great open relationship with birth mom, and she continued the, that entire year to want um, to stick with the adoption plan and for her son to stay with us. We ended up having um, someone else contest the adoption, and at the court hearing, they told us that we actually had to give Ezra up and we had two hours to say goodbye. So what went from us thinking for, for the most of that year as we had our son in our home and our daughter thought of him as our brother, her brother, we all of a sudden had a matter of hours to say goodbye forever to our son Ezra that we had cared for, raised. He called us mom and dad. And, you know, we'd been there every day of his life since he was born. And so that was an, a really devastating loss to have to say goodbye to a son. And we haven't seen or heard um, from him since that ugh, day. Ugh. I, I, have that to, I, I have to interject again. That, yes. And then, yeah. and then you adopted another child. And, and then I want you to briefly tell me about what your sister-in-law went through. But, but I want to make sure, because I know people want to hear about how you landed on this place that that yeah. it will help folks when they feel like life is beyond their control and God isn't coming through, at least in the moment, the way they expect him to. You know, your husband writes very wisely. I want to quickly read something that he wrote in the book uh, called Beyond Our Control by Lauren and Michael, right? Lauren and Michael McAfee. Um, is that correct? Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, you got it. Okay. And he says, in the Western world today, the church has largely embraced the half-truth that God's mm. primary function is to intervene in our lives such that our suffering is eased, our stress is calmed, and our success is pretty much ensured. This mm-hmm. comes in varying degrees of absurdity from the blazing televangelists promising financial provision for any por- person who supports their ministry, all the way down to the more subtle foolishness that if we live a good Christian life, God will reward us in this life with a mostly pain-free, prosperous existence. And and yeah. I think... We all operate a little bit under that thought, like, God, surely, right. surely you're going to give me all good things all the time. Um, right. And and you probably did, too. So so now, you're, you're, is it your sister yeah. or sister-in-law went through something? Yeah, so we lost Ezra, and then a year later, one of my sisters who had been experiencing infertility and miscarriage finally got pregnant and had her pregnancy make it to 32 weeks when she suddenly went into 
from pregnancy complications, early